Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is brought to you by The Joyful Fashionista, an online marketplace for buying and selling secondhand and sustainable clothing. Make cash selling as you declutter or buy sustainable and fabulous fashion. Yuma Frugalistas and welcome. Today I have a very special guest and as you know all of my guests are very special but this is one guest whose story when we were chatting just before literally gave me goosebumps so I know you are really going to want to listen to this episode. Before I begin Just a reminder that I love comments on my podcast and I love people to like my podcasts and follow. If you have a friend who you feel would love this podcast, make sure you send it to them as well. So my guest today is Julian Fayad. Julian loves tech and loves finance, so we're already besties. He built his first app at age 18 and he's now founder and CEO of multiple businesses specializing in finance, technology and AI including loanoptions.ai. And that's a .ai, not a .com. You can have all different dots these days. And it's uh, this is though the first time I've seen .ai. Julian is also working towards launching an online academy, which will include beginner courses on savings, budgeting, investing, as well as information on good debt and bad debt. Now, before we begin, a quick disclaimer that discussion in this podcast is by way of general advice on financial literacy. It is not financial advice, and it may or may not suit your individual circumstances. Welcome, Julian. Thank you so much, and and that's quite the introduction. Well, you've got quite the background. So I guess the big question is, like, how did you get started? How did you get interested in finance and tech, in fintech? You know, I guess back when I was still in school, pretty much the only subject I could concentrate on was tech, IT, and uh, I really uh, got started like that i enjoyed it so much i was spending late nights just researching and and i guess self-teaching you know learning things that i thought would be of interest and i went down the path of doing pursuing further education in web development and it and i thought that kind of keeps it a little bit open in terms of how i want to pursue my career but i guess the, the finance came later i was also really quite good at maths and always had an interest in the business side of of finance, and and that was always like not quite my the, the IT and the, and the tech stuff was my passion, but the finance was something that I always saw as like a, a, a fail safe for me to get into, and so I had various roles after school, and I was kind of juggling full time education and work, and it was really quite burdensome. I was kind of struggling. I was getting home really late at night, and then having to travel, get up really early. I had, you know, age 19 and 20, most people are kind of out with their friends and, you know, living uh, quite the social life. I was pretty much working or studying all the time and it was really, uh, I, was, I, was, I was struggling. So I thought something's got to give here. And at that point in time, I wasn't in a position to quit work. I was supporting my mother, my single mum, and I've got two brothers and two sisters obviously had its challenges and, you know, I, I felt like I needed to contribute and, and be, I guess, a man of the house or one of the men in the house. Yeah, so I, I made that decision and thought, okay, I'm going to have development and education on, on pause for a little while and I'll circle back to that. But 
I never really stopped the self-learning. I, I always, when I had time, was kind of dedicating hours and hours to try and build different things and cool projects that I enjoyed. And, and that kind of kept me sane, I guess. In, in that respect, I pursued a, a career in finance and started in a really junior role and worked my way up, managed different businesses in more senior positions slowly. But the, the, the tech component was always there. And, and as you mentioned, I, I built and deployed an app when I was 18 or, or 19 years old. And it wasn't anything game-changing to me. It was very useful because it was like something that hadn't really been done before. It was an app that at the time was aggregating various sports statistics and, um, <laughs> and news feeds. A passion of yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And, and it was more a project that was just about learning the process, going through that Apple App Store deployment process and them coming back a hundred times and telling you fix this and fix that before they'll let you. So I just really wanted to understand that part of it. And uh, and then I had some other subsequent projects, mostly just hobbyist stuff. But I thought if I don't start and continue this, I'm going to end up in a position where I don't like my job and, and I feel like I've gone too far away from what I wanted to achieve. And I guess in my career at the time, I was looking at all the roles that I was doing in finance and I was just like, wow, this industry is just so far behind. And there were so many things that were just really heavy and burdensome on paperwork. Yeah. This is going back 10, 15 years. Like Australia's, I mean, we were actually ahead, I think, in terms of some digital banking, but still a lot of the processes were really dark ages. Yeah. You, you had to provide all of this paper documentation. You had to go and get your ID certified and go and do this and go and do that. And I was just like, the technology is already available. And if you look at many other industries, you really can see that the finance and banking sector, it's, it's, they're almost dinosaurs. You know, I know now it's getting a lot better, but this is pretty much from the pressure that the fintech companies have been putting on the major banks to improve their offering. And they're, they're certainly feeling it. And there's some really fast growing companies that people are gravitating towards now. No longer are they kind of sticking to the bank they've always had. They're willing to try new and innovative products if it means that they're going to get a better deal or better custom service. And so I, I really saw that as an opportunity and started working on solutions that would make the customer end up with a better outcome, both in terms of custom service, but also being able to search the market, you know, when there's more than 60 banks and lenders, how do you know which is the, the right mm. solution? How do you know what's the cheapest offer? How do you know if it's a good deal or a bad deal comparatively without physically applying? You won't even know if you're eligible for any of those products either. And of course, we know that your credit rating can be impacted every time you make an inquiry. That's true. Yeah. And so that was a problem that a lot of my friends and family were facing saw them go through the process of trying to start a small business or and get access to funding or you know buy a car or whatever the, the needs were even you know to, to to buy a house and um their family was expanding and things like that i saw it as an opportunity to to work on that and it did take a couple of years to come up with a solution to that problem and and sometimes these things are really long and drawn out but more or less what we ended up with is loan options AI that's kind of I wouldn't say the final form, but that's a mature version of, of what we created. And 
that is, I, I guess, a tool that allows people to com- to compare many different types of loans, car loans, equipment loans, personal loans, small business loans. But it, it's not a traditional comparison site. No, I, I can tell. It's quite, it's quite different. And I, I'd just like to cycle back a bit and say that I still remember the days where my mum would be stressed out because she was going to see the bank manager. And you probably never experienced this, but it used to be that your local bank manager was the one who controlled all the power. And it was quite a big deal. You wanted to be on good terms with the bank manager. If you, I remember actually, I was a, I had a birthday party. I remember now. I had a birthday party and they were playing Pass the Parcel and my mum wanted the bank manager's child to get the, the, the present we were opening up. And we kept getting it wrong because there were like more layers and we didn't realise. <laughs> like always stopping at this person. But, you know, like I laughed though, but those were the days where if the bank manager liked you, so it was a very um, personality-based process and, and, and it was usually a he, there were very few female bank managers, if he liked you, you'd get a loan. And there was also a huge problem too that women, particularly women in business, couldn't get business loans, they couldn't get car loans, they certainly usually couldn't get house loans. So it's quite a different environment we're in today, isn't it? It's not down to that one personality. In fact, in many cases, there aren't bank managers at all. Oh, that's totally right. And it wasn't that long ago that I still remember going to the bank with my mum and she'd have a check ready to pay the mortgage, you know, or she'd have wow. the cash or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so uh, certainly direct debits, you know, have changed a fair bit in terms of the way that we can transact. And a lot of the time the, the, the tech transformation leads to good client outcomes. Like nobody used to have to line up at a teller to pay your mortgage and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and uh, you're totally right. It was all based on, you know, there was like in the terminology in the finance industry, there's the five C's of credit. And one of the C's when they're assessing is your character. That can be very subjective. Yeah, exactly. And if they, if they, don't, if they don't find you to be of good character, and I mean, what does that mean? It's very subjective if they don't think that you're going to be able to repay the loan or they don't believe in your business model. And there's certainly a heavy bias towards uh, supporting male businesses versus female businesses. And so, yeah, I, I, we've kind of gone through all the different cycles. I, I'm lucky enough that I uh, am old enough that I, I saw the trans- transformation happen, but I'm also young enough to be quite handy and tech savvy. And so I really hope that we continue down this path of making things really, really simple and you know, really service-based and client outcome-based. The, the key thing is when people are dealing with a broker or someone else, they, they need to know that they're getting a transparent offering, like I'm looking at all of the options available to me and this is the best option, therefore I want to select this product. And and, and that was very important. That was the, on, the highest on the list of priorities is making sure that when we are trying to match using our technology, a client with the best offer, we find out what's important to them. So is it they want a, a product that has a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to make extra payments or... Mm-hmm, which is big for me. <laughs> yeah, and no termination fees and things like that. Or is it more important to have a fast turnaround time because it's a time-sensitive issue? Or is it more important to just get the overall best offer in terms of working out the rate and the fees that are applicable and looking at the monthly payment. Is the, is the term of the loan an issue? Would you prefer to have a more positive cash flow position in terms of keeping the repayments low, the minimum repayment low, 
and then also being able to make extra repayments when you have it. And I guess that's a strategy that a lot of people uh, like to use or find that works well because if you ever have the extra money, then, of course, you can pay down the loan faster. But if there was ever a, a crunch um, or, you know, coming up to Christmas time, buying Christmas presents and or going on holidays or something where you could always revert back to the minimum and, and manage your money that way. So, yeah, I, I guess in just going back to my mum, she taught me so many good lessons because, you know, we, we're, um, I guess, a, a white ribbon family and without kind of getting too bogged down in that, it's, it's amazing to see how someone who had to navigate this whole financial system by herself, you know, she went from having raised five kids and kind of being out of work for a while and then having to kind of go jump back into the deep end and, and figure all of this stuff out uh, without any real help. And, you know, our, unfortunately, our school system doesn't really teach a lot about managing money and the importance yeah. of credit rating and how to manage your bills. And there's a lot of prioritizing going on. And I guess that's uh, part of the reason why I felt like I was really obliged to, to go down the path of continuing full-time work and doing what I could. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just super grateful that she was able to teach me so much about you know what what works and and what doesn't sounds like you're super close to your mum and for those of people who don't know what is a white ribbon family yeah so i guess um you know i was a teenager at the time but we went through you know domestic violence uh yeah so you know it was quite traumatic for for my mum and i guess the whole gaslighting the all the stuff that comes with it the emotional abuse uh, uh, feeling trapped and feeling like you can't make it and you've got to support five kids so you can't kind of exit that that situation I, I think that's yeah ultimately uh, she was brave enough to I guess take the leap and family are all a lot better off for it and I'm glad she did that because had we stayed in that environment who knows what, where we'd all be now so thank you for sharing it sounds like your mum's a very courageous woman and someone who's a huge mentor and advocate for you as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's actually the first time I've shared that, I guess, publicly. So, yeah. Uh, and look, you know, I, I'm. that's all a very long time ago, but it certainly shaped the type of husband and father that I, I've become and I strive to be. And, you know, I've got two young kids. One's three and a half and the other one's uh, just a bit over one and a half. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so, and lovely wife who is an accountant. So, you know, she, she knows a thing or two about finance. And, two and of you are a sure financial <laughs> powerhouse there. Power couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, there's certainly some tips I've been able to take from, from my wife as well. And they've both been instrumental women in, in, in my life. And my sister, who's a partner in the business, also great. She's my younger sister, but. She's the, I guess, the, the glue that holds the family together. So she, she's also deserves some credit for loan options. She's been one of our best performing and most senior brokers within the business. And she's just had a baby. So she, yeah, congratulations, my sister Chantelle. Wow. Your family empire is growing and, and sounds like you're going from strength <laughs> to strength. And all on the back, it sounds like from a bit of desire and some good financial management through some tough times. On this, let's go back to loans because this is obviously what your business is, is about. 
There are some people, particularly in the FIRE, financial independence, retire early community, who believe that all debt is bad. And so their strategy is pretty much that they work hard, they invest in things like ETFs or LICs. They don't take out loans to buy things like property. They're just all really focused on the building up of of debt-free assets. Is all debt bad? Can you have good debt? You certainly can. There is good debt and bad debt. And the, the simplest way to explain is an example of bad debt is debt that provides you with no return in terms of just sunk money into material goods or or services that don't propel you any further forward. An example of a good debt might be to pay for professional development or buy a property that's going to have a capital increase in in value that's going to return you a greater deal of money than the, the low interest rates that we have in terms of paying that interest. So that's certainly the the simplest form. If you distill it down to starting a business that can generate you X amount of revenue and acquiring some debt, you have to be reasonable and and well-balanced in in your approach. You, You can't try and bite off more than you can chew. But if you can save up some money and then use a good debt, let's call it a good debt to Once you've done all of your due diligence and worked out if this business model has, you've done your feasibility and your business plan and everything like that, and you go, okay, this is an area I want to expand into or I want to, this business model for me, you move into that, that amount of debt that you put yourself into and the amount of interest you pay back on that debt will be dwarfed by the amount of money that you're able to, to generate and the livelihood that you can uh, I guess, uh, get off the back of that debt. So it's about leveraging the, the, the good debt to, to generate more positive cash flow or assets that will have a capital increase. So the bad debts are the very obvious ones. <laughs> let's go for the list. Let's see how many people yeah, have had. I've see. had a few in the past myself. Yeah, and there's so many debts. Like, for example, credit card, you can go and max it out and buy designer handbags and jewellery and uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is stuff that the keeping up with the Joneses stuff. You really want to try and avoid that. That's uh, key, I think. You can you can spoil yourself. Like I'm, I'm all for that. I think that's every now and again. You- Just treat yourself. The amount of times I hear yeah. that, like a couple of years ago, <laughs> pre-COVID, hubby and I were on a cruise and we made the mistake of getting the tour of the gym and the spa. Just because I was curious, horrifically overpriced massage packages, and everyone's like. Just treat yourself. And I'm like, are you nuts? Like this is like three times the cost of what I'd be paying on land. Yeah, get three of them back. And I can't get a medical insurance refund either. So it's just like nuts. Why would I do that? But just treat yourself. And I think the just treat yourself has to be within reason. Spending hundreds of hundreds of dollars when you know you can get it at one third of the cost the moment you, you set foot on land as an example. <laughs> That's just one example of being able to just take the emotion out of it and just be a bit more objective about how you spend your money. It comes down to that wellness. Financial wellness is not just about having enough money in the bank. Financial wellness is also about having that balance so that you can kind of feel like you're not deprived because often you have a concept that's new, but it's clearly showed its face throughout the COVID period. It's called revenge spending. So when you kind of, Ooh. and it's the same thing with, uh, with with dieting. You know, sometimes if you restrict yourself too much, 
you you get this rebound effect or like a slingshot effect where you go too you go too far. It's about finding that equilibrium of I'm gonna save money and be frugal and and smart, and then also balancing that with I don't want to get this rebound effect. So every now and again, when I've earned it or when I've been disciplined enough, and I encourage a lot of people to actually set a little budget aside so that you can actually stay on track with that and not let things get out of hand. If you have like a five percent of your uh, savings go into a little fund that's like your, essentially your your treat yourself fund, just to keep that sustainability of, of your budgeting and your I guess your financial management. That the key thing is being consistent. Yeah. You just can't afford to do it do it for three weeks and then stop and go back to your old ways. You really have to be <laughs> consistent. Yeah, just to share on the whole discretionary spending issue. My husband and I give each other, we each allocate $100 every fortnight and we actually have like one of those Qantas cards and on the back it's actually a form of a debit card. It's not the most flash but we don't use it for overseas spending, we just use it domestically and we just put $100 each on that so there's no credit card fees with doing that. And so whenever there's something I want, I don't have to ask my husband's permission. If I want to go op shopping and buy lots of blingy things that I don't really need, it's my business. (laughs) And same with him. And there's a discrete limit. Like when I go over that, there's like no more money and it's gone. Yeah. And it's it's just one of the best things because we both have personal freedom. From time to time, he'll want to do something and he says, I'm not asking your permission, I'm just doing it. And he loves it. I remember very early on he was out at the pub and like we're not the sort of people who go out to the pub for Friday night drinks very often. But they had a major project at work they just completed and so all these mates from work were out and he got to buy a round of drinks and he said to me, in my first marriage, I never had the freedom to do this. Like this would always have been an issue. Like I would have had to explain this. And he's like, this is my card. It's my money. I'm doing what I want. And I'm like, yep, you don't have to ask me. It's yours. <laughs> great. <laughs> that's so great. And that, that's just, that's this comes down to the discipline. You, you set yeah. the limit and you don't go over it. Once the funds are, are gone, they're, they're gone. And, uh, and I think that's the best way to do it. But he gets the enjoyment out of doing that. And, and obviously you have, uh, your enjoyment and it's uh, no questions <laughs> asked it's this is what I want to spend it on it's great yeah exactly and it's, so it sounds like you have a lot of discipline in managing your own finances as well which is partly how you got to where you are right yeah look uh, you know it's a work in progress always I, I certainly am quite disciplined you know there's certain things that sometimes I just have some rules and like if I get into the online sh- shopping frenzy I uh, sometimes just put the phone down and and then go and look at the cart the following day and see if I still really need those items. The way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very so, good strategy. Yeah. And, uh, and oftentimes I'm like, what was I thinking? But it, it's really hard. You know, you get into the, 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 the online shopping and you, you end up thinking I need this and I need that. And then just go look at your wardrobe first. And there's probably, you know, five different outfits that you've barely worn. And, uh, and then you decide, no, I don't really need that jacket. Uh, winter's still four months away. <laughs> or come and shop at the Joyful Fashionista, my latest baby, my online marketplace for buying and selling secondhand clothes. Lots of bargains on there, a few for men's clothes at the moment as well, which is great. Great. Yeah, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll check it out for sure. And, uh, I mean, there's so many good, like, initiatives uh, that you're doing. It's just amazing, you know, going through and just seeing the, the advice that you're able to share and the, 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 the guests that you have on. It's uh, it's invaluable that the amount of uh, knowledge that you can get from from professionals, from from 
people who just have great life experience. You know, they don't need to be an expert in any one thing. Sometimes what the experts say is complicated and, and difficult. Find a strap. You know, when people say, oh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, I, I certainly stay away from that. I think what you need to do is look at all of the solutions out there and find what areas you can be disciplined in and follow those strategies. So when people say don't take out their only do ETFs, like a lot of really experienced finance professionals still don't understand ETFs properly. Oh, yeah. I'm always surprised. Yeah, they're complicated and difficult to understand. So I can see why people would avoid that strategy. People know property because at the end of the day, it's a concept that has been around for a while, you know, roof over your head has value. And for a lot of people, it's home and some people it's investments and it's been a pretty consistent investment. Even when there's like a period of, you know, cooling down, it's very rare that the, the property prices reverse. Uh, it's not impossible that the market is the market and sometimes there, there are risks. It's not every investment is going to run perfectly. But I think that's why it's important to have a diverse portfolio. You should look, you know, into all of them. If you want to dabble in something that's really complicated, then the best way to learn sometimes is to try, but just make sure you set a really low entry point. Yeah. So that the risk is is quite low. And and that seems to be the strategy. Obviously it's a bit hard to do that with property prices. You can't exactly buy a a cheap property. You could. It's some regional areas. I've got a friend who's just bought a, pro- a four-bedroom house for $250,000 in a regional area. It is still possible, but it's it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that people are, are finding these areas that are having rapid growth or, uh, you know, they've, they've been very clever about buying these properties in strategic locations that have infrastructure projects or anything else planned looking ahead 5, 10, 15 years. And there's people that have built a whole investment strategy around that kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, I would say that, you know, you need, you do need to have balance and, and that's why like probably property and I have some investments in shares. And then I also have some cryptocurrency and I know that's another concept that's can be quite difficult. And I know that some people like to go in and they're going to it with almost like a gambler's mentality and and that's really the wrong approach you you will lose money and um you'll you'll potentially yeah it won't work out well for you so you know when when people are interested in i always ask make sure you do your research people ask me about cryptocurrency i do it because i like to have my risk spread across different asset classes but i think you know it really is uh one of those things where the, the the safest strategy is to start really small and there are some apps, great apps out there, like one called Cubix, which is Q-U-B-I-X. And you can start, I think, with like $9 a week, and it's just a recurring buy, or you can do a one-off buy. But you should never take a lump sum of money because it's so volatile. You should never take a lump sum of money and put it in the crypto market just like that. The safest strategy is to do a method called dollar cost averaging. and that is to say that you buy a small amount over a longer period. And so you'll have this, I guess, smoothing of the average buy price at that point. So it takes away the risk of these really high price fluctuations. If you took, let's say, $1,000 and put it into the market and then there's a big crash tomorrow, you might lose 50% of your money. That's not good. 
But if you'd bought over a year, $1,000 worth, you would have caught some of the highs and some of the lows. But the average, and that's why it's called dollar cost averaging, the average buy price would probably be quite low. And, and then obviously that you just build from there once you feel a little more comfortable with it. That's some great advice. And I have one final question for you, which is, do you have a frugalista tip? Yeah, that's great. Um, I would say my favorite tip to give people is whatever hobby or whatever passion you have, start that side hustle immediately. Start it today. Spend 10 minutes on it. Just kick it off. Think of a brand name. Think of a logo. Think of something. Just start it. And the reason I say that is, one of the best ways to get ahead is to have a secondary stream of income or a third stream of income, fourth, if you can manage your time. And there are a lot of ways that you can you, know, you can learn really fast. You know, in the, the digital age, obviously, you have lots of free videos and tutorials on many different subjects and topics. It's really powerful and you can get so much help. And there are a lot of people that are willing to help give you advice and set up Zoom calls with or other types of meetings with people like you'll find that people are really generous with their time when they see someone who's starting out and maybe they've got a bit more experience i certainly always to people who are looking to start a finance business or a fintech business you know i'm always very generous with my time and and i think it's about like paying it forward in that respect Yep, this is music to my ears. <laughs> well, for two things. One is my next book, The Joyful Startup Guide, is coming out in a couple of months' time. And secondly, I'm currently paying it forward. I received some grant funds last year and I'm paying it forward by sponsoring a $2,000 micro grant with YWCA Canberra for their great ideas at the moment. It's huge, actually. There's just, I didn't expect to receive so much joy from paying it forward like this, like it's actually more fun than actually receiving it. It was great to receive it, but it's even better to pay it forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think I, I get far more satisfaction out of seeing pe other people succeed and helping where I can, whether it's uh, offering you know, marketing tips from my team or lending some of my resources to them just to get them off the ground or help them with branding or strategy or whatever it is. I I believe in good karma and sometimes people have this mentality of like, like I guess they call it famine mentality where it's like for me to eat, as an example, I need to take food off your plate. I, I really think that it's the other way around. You know, that there's an abundance of, of opportunities in the market and there's, you need to have that abundance mentality. Like the tide rises for, for everyone if, if you are able to develop a good product that goes into a market, whether it's finance, technology or could be clothing or it doesn't matter what industry it is. If you are able to come up with a great product, it lifts the rest of the market, just the way that tide rises for everyone. So I hear you. So thank you so much, Julian, for being my guest. If you've enjoyed this conversation, come and join the Facebook group, the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group, and you can find Julian at loanoptions.ai. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. An absolute pleasure. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. You could talk, I would listen, I would understand your mind. Oh, I'd love to be with you, walking 
every day. I am thankful that our separate paths have crossed. Every night I lay my head down. I know I'll never feel so I'm